Hello, I'm M. And I'm E. And welcome to Blood and Turf, a podcast about the links between the ideology of turfs, trans exclusionary radical feminists, and fascism, cult, pseudoscience, and other reactionary political phenomena. Over the past several weeks, there have been worldwide headlines reporting on crackdowns on Polish LGBT activists, highlighting brutal policing, harsh government responses, and the hostile policies of an increasingly reactionary environment for LGBT people, in particular transgender people. However, this isn't merely a recent phenomenon. The current crackdown is built on years of mounting repression of LGBT people, which has recently exploded. To shed more light on this complex issue for activists outside of Poland, we decided to interview a Polish transgender activist about the current struggle and what it's like to live in Poland as a trans person. So uh, welcome back and to our new listener base, welcome to the podcast. Um, Given that our last episode did go semi-viral on uh, a few turf twitter feeds um i do realize that most of the new like listeners and subscribers are going to be like hardened like alt-right anti-transgender activists and uh, i wouldn't say that that's okay but welcome to the show i guess i'm glad that you enjoy the um our adolescent whinings so much to, to yeah cheer. all two hours 20 minutes of it uh we, we we've got we've got such we've got such a good episode this time uh and when we, we've moved away from cancelling everyone's favorite authors and and show writers and media personalities uh to talking about poland yeah interestingly um talking about poland sort of takes us away from the ephemeral world of like british washed up slightly right-wing semi-intellectual columnists and takes us over to like what i would argue is actually bordering on proper fascism yeah which is why we wanted to do this podcast because as as uh, i don't want to diminish uh the british turf kind of um political ecology as as a trend that is it's, it's not it's not a fun thing but in poland there's some there's a lot of really ge- genuinely like bad shit happening it seems like a lot of british people and especially a lot of people in the british trans community don't really know what's going on um so we were really lucky enough to have a polish friend of mine come and speak to us uh, about kind of what stuff is like now what it used to be like um and what they think is kind of going on with all of the bad shit that is happening yeah i think what's notable about um the polish situation and to be to be fair i think people are beginning to slowly pick up on it a bit a bit more is that it's realized in like such a kind of like brutal and directly physical way in a way that hasn't yet happened and hopefully will not happen in the uk but at the same time not to invoke like the rather stale like stereotypical argument of like the slippery slope model of politics but i think to a certain extent some aspects of the polish political situation which we'll explain in the interview do kind of offer a real life warning of how things can get if you don't take this stuff seriously on like a wide like movement wide political level yeah and there are lots of comparisons to be had which again you will hear in a bit uh between like um kind of british the british kind of political culture and even the american political culture so it's kind of like it's really worth thinking about again not just in terms of the slippery slope but also in terms of like oh why did this happen in this way how can we stop this happening in this way in other places what are some good things? Like, I, I think it's a very good uh, if-bracing comparison. 
Yeah, definitely. So yeah, so for this interview, we we contacted um, a Polish comrade who's um, like a, a trans activist, and we we asked if they would like to be be interviewed about general life in Poland as a trans person, and also the political context of the recent like high profile arrests of LGBT activists, um, and the you know just generally the stuff that has been in the news about you know basically loads of LGBT kids just getting their heads beaten in by riot police. Poland, uh, within the European uh, political scene, has sort of been a hub for a lot of far-right organizing over the last couple of decades. Um, and, you know, th this sequence of events is certainly no exception to that trend. I think uh, people should bear in mind, going into this interview, that the far-right, you know, doesn't just operate in terms of street movements it also operates in a in a legislative manner in a municipal manner and it operates through you know organs of the state but also organs of the community like uh, confessional communities uh, by which i mean not just like a confessional community isn't just like a, a religious community it's a it's a religious community that is focused around like particular sites of worship particular like institutions within the local environment and a lot of that is very central to the Polish political scene and is very central to the anti-LGBT wave of repression. So without further ado, um, here is our interview. Iris, how would you characterize um, like LGBT life in Poland over the last few years versus at the moment? Okay, so um, when I was growing up, talking about LGBT people existing was like swearing. So we lived, I mean, people lived, but they lived in hiding, more or less. And even if they didn't, they, if, if they didn't live in hiding, they were left alone because people weren't talking about us. Pride attracted violence, but not as much as it is nowadays. I have to say that I was out of the loop for a while because I was in England. And I went through a moment when I was just like so overwhelmed and depressed by the media and the coverage and the, the language uh, that after I, after I realized I was gay and trans that I decided that I had to cut it all off and that was the only way I could exist in this society and I feel like that's how it was and how it has been for many people. They kind of try to live despite what is being said. Let's say before the elections, because people say that it all started with the elections. Before the elections last year, there was this pride march in Białystok and uh, people were throwing stones at the marching people. The presence of fascists has been growing. From what I can tell, the more we are being noticed, the worse it gets. If you've got this like situation where there's a lot of where there's been like a lot of recent incidents where there's like violence and like people are throwing mm -hmm. stones at marches over the last like couple of years, that's clearly something that's emerged quite recently. But are you, would you say that it's it's like keeping pace with the rest of the LGBT movement coming forward that has meant that there's been just like a consistent like ramping up of hostility as well? Yeah, the more visible we were, the more hostility there was. Was that politicians or something else? Well, there's two sides to this coin. There's one, which is the, the beliefs, the church, and the beliefs of the church, and the things that we are taught from 
very young age in schools. Like my, my school, I didn't go to a Catholic school. I went to a regular school. I went to a public school, which is different than the public schools in England. So that's like the most regular, mundane, boring school. And so the things that they taught us and they t- told us were basically like the worst kind of a Catholic school. Like we would have to skip, well, not, not skip, but they would, instead of classes, we would go and look at little aborted fetuses and pick on, in the, the main hall to teach us about how terrible abortion is. We had religion classes twice a week. It, w- it wouldn't be like teaching people about how religion works and how what different religions are in the world but it would be like oh here god says that homosexuals are bad and they will uh be in hell etc etc there's this this uh kind of constant amount of homophobia and transphobia that is in people that they kind of learn living here that I'm pretty sure exists in, in people in, in other countries. But the influence of the church really is not helping. And uh, it is like when you, when you look at people who, who moved out or started out or uh, were born in little, little villages where the greatest authority is sometimes still, well, the priest, let's say the priest. People have a lot of respect for a priest. I mean, it's, it's been dwindling in the last few years because of scandals and uh, because of the distrust that's been introduced after. Well, it is kind of this government's fault too, and the pedophilia scandals. So yeah, for example, I have a friend who was brought up in village and it's so much worse for people from villages because everyone knows each other and homophobia is, is just off the charts. I have a question, kind of this, uh, the Catholic church side of things. Mm-hmm. So. It's fairly common political strategy for like big institutions to try and like shift public anger onto other people when like something bad mm-hmm. is going on. Do you think that it would be accurate to say that the, the Catholic Church in Poland has encouraged this kind of like this level of like social reactionary bullshit as a response to their own troubles, like their own scandals? that that's like part of what what has driven this it's possible i mean it is definitely the case for the politics politicians who are kind of profiting from this distrust that is already in in among the people distrust for lgbt people who weaponize that distrust and paint it as into complete monsters because like the thing you mentioned about the the catholic church having uh like pedophilia scandals and sexual assault scandals yeah that's the classic anti-LGBT and particularly like an anti-trans thing right now is that there's sexual danger and that effectively uh, LGBT people, like trans people, gay men, if you, if you let them anywhere near your kids, then it's like as if you were letting a child molester here or yeah, yeah, yeah. they think it's literally exactly the same thing. Like in Britain, this doesn't happen quite so much anymore, but it used to be very, very normal for the media to just make those things completely equivalent to each other. And I, I would assume that that's basically how the media is treating it there. Like, mm-hmm. to- to what degree does the media focus in on like false generalized accusations of pedophilia with relation to like trans people specifically? I don't think they're uh, okay. There hasn't been much talk about trans people, to be honest. They kind of 
throw it all in the in the one bag of LGBT uh, LGBT ideology, uh, right, which gender, uh, gender ideology like you yeah gender know. yeah it used to be gender ideology but now they updated it and it's LGBT ideology. One of the reasons why the the other main candidate for in the in the presidential elections didn't win, people were saying that if he wins, the Chaskowski, the other candidate, he is the mayor of Warsaw, and in Warsaw they introduced I'm not sure how to how to call it in English a, a diversity card which uh, was a program among among other things was a program to combat anti-lgbt violence against well lgbt youths in schools and the right wingers decided that in this way you know sexual education in any any way which it wasn't even but sexual education in, in, in any context is uh, teaching kids well it's it's uh, you know pedophilia it's it's how they read it, and t- t- telling kids about you know LGBT people existing is also encouraging sexual behaviors from them. So that discourse happened, and he to right wingers he was a supporter of LGBT rights, which he's really just a liberal. It's nothing special. He didn't come out at all during the protest or anything. Also, what is connected to that is the trucks that go through Warsaw, and uh, from from the speakers, they blare about how uh, LGBT is pedophilia and how sexual education in schools will will ruin your children. So you're saying that even the right wing were uh, doing the same thing of equating the LGBT agenda to like the real fascism, you know, this totalitarian. So they are trying to, to present us as a, a dangerous ideology who are coming from the west to uh take over and uh brainwash us into letting us do whatever we want and and uh, change our genders and then make them change their genders i i've seen talk about that too it's, it's all very cool so did you say there was a conflation with kind of like LGBT rights as like being a Western import? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the EU, they are uh, being equated, like the EU are, this is really sad to say, and it's a really baby thing to to, 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 to believe, but uh, all my life I kind of saw the EU as, as the last thing that is stopping us from uh, reaching complete hell, because uh, sometimes it was intervene when the government did something like really really fascist like in the even even before this government came to uh came to power i grew up seeing the eu as this really good thing i know things are more complicated than that uh right so yeah the eu is western uh the eu is trying to make us adopt their way of thinking and destroy the Polish family. This is this is uh, the word. These are the words of that are repeated all the time by priests, by politicians. The destruction of the Polish family, death civilization. They call it. You you just said that the priests and the government um, are all saying this. How intertwined with the government are like, is the church and other priests? Very. Some may say that the first election that peace, which is the, 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 the ruling party, won. There's a radio in Torun. 
It's a Catholic radio. It's funded and governed by one man, one priest, called Tadeo Trelizic. He, he has a whole empire. He has a school, a college, a radio station, a TV station, and God knows what else. Uh, he's a very rich... He's like a, a media mogul, basically. Alex Jones. Yeah, he's like the Polish Alex Jones. He is, uh, in, in a way, has been pulling the strings for a long time. The ideology that he presents is very... Even, even for, like, for the Vatican, it would be... From the Vatican's point of view, it would be violent and terrible. Polish Catholics, that's another digression. But Polish Catholics believe that many Polish Catholics that are it's called Radio Maria, which uh, translate to translates to uh, Saint Mary's Radio. A lot of people from that environment would say, and not only from that environment, there are some, there are many people who vote for peace and 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 don't listen to uh, Radio Maria. But many of them would say that the Pope is trying to destroy the Church from the inside because he's too liberal. That seems relatively similar. Obviously, not exactly the same. But mm-hmm. to comparison with Alex Jones, I guess it's similar in the sense that in America, a lot of the anti-LGBT kind of backlash is a lot of it is religiously like uh, motivated. And you do yeah. have like even if he doesn't have a elected position in government, he can spew all this stuff, and and people will act on it. Absolutely, yeah. He, uh, there's a lot of people who think that he is uh, mostly older people. Even my grandma is watches TV Trump. She doesn't believe in anything that's being said there, but she watches it. By conflating the two ideas that Catholic, the two ideas of Catholicism and, and being uh, believing in God and being religious and and all that baggage of of just hate that's being spewed there, it's all coming together into a really nice package of just would it be terrible to say that it's brainwashing older people i mean a lot of people have spoken again in terms of america about like the fox newsification of older people i know m does a lot of analysis of um the q the QAnon cult in america and that has a similar like radicalization spiral of people will just like suddenly go off the deep end yeah it is it's it is what it is it's really a scam because uh Half of the, the these programs, especially on the radio, is just uh, people telling older citizens to donate to, uh, you know, fight injustice and fight, uh, donate to the church and help help the, the priests spread the good word and save the country from terrible people. So if they're scamming vulnerable older people with uh, maybe people who are less media savvy. Oh, that's a generalization. What, what, what really is happening is that it is a scam. It is a lot like Alex Johnson's full website, but it's for old people. One thing that like I have noticed with, or at least, well, I don't really have like evidence to back this up, but this is more like my personal judgment of having like watched how like old reactionaries behave online and like in relation to new media is that it seems like they've inherited like all of their behaviors from how they used to interact with like tv and they've started applying that to the internet and i think that's a big part of what's kind of generated like right-wing american conspiracy theories and like the the massive power um like right-wing evangelical christians in in the usa have 
all of that like used to be based and still is based on like cable television and it's beginning to be transferred or like it's, it's very much now transferred into like the online environment but it's now like intermingled with all sorts of other like incredibly wild conspiracy theories that i think is definitely having this like brainwashing effect on the minds of like the people who are just like constantly exposing themselves to it and because they're because mm-hmm. they've like been living with it for years they they've never like they haven't known anything different for ages so they don't even like know that it's happening yeah uh, even with my grandparents who are good they're good people I feel like it, it, the internet doesn't really come into the equation equation because all these old people they don't really use the internet a lot or at all. I think the people who are on the internet will be like 60, 70, maybe tops. But the, the target demographic of uh, Radio Maria is uh, people who go to church a lot, who uh, listen to the radio, who listen to watch one one TV station, and uh, they don't really have much contact with the need. Oh, oh, one thing that they also do is demonizing the, the, the other media. There is a project right now to nationalize all the media in Poland. Okay, one thing that I kind of skipped through is uh, how Radio, Radio Maria used to be like a propaganda tube for the government and before they were in power for, for that political group. And after this government came to power, they slowly took over the media I mean, the, the national media, it, it was completely, uh, it, it, everything that was national and belonged to country. And the people who were in charge of, of those institutions were replaced by people who uh, were trusted to the government. I was just going to say, it sounds very similar to um, how the BBC, which although it was already relatively kind of centrist, over the past year or so has just become like absolute client journalism for the UK government. Yeah. No, but they don't, they're not even really hiding it anymore. Like they don't even try. Like they'll have, they'll have uh, haters like, haters, can you say haters in, in TV news? Like, Chaskovsky will bend to the Jews' demands or uh, LGBT something something terrorizing us. Uh, I'm actually, I wonder if I can find some of the worst headlines but yeah they, they don't they're not they're not hiding what they're doing it's uh it, it happened slowly it didn't really happen that slowly it just happened it just happened and it happened and it got really bad and now they're trying to nationalize all the media and uh, the one thing that people are hopeful about is that which is uh, kind of sad is uh, that america is protective of its corporations and they already said that they won't allow poland to take away discovery channels rights because discovery i think discovery owns what the, the biggest uh, competitor of uh, the national media so the thing that's keeping us now from from plunging into complete hell is uh plunging into complete hell having the liberal media being taken away and turned into another propaganda tube is uh America's care for their corporations. And they, they weaponize that to the fact that, that the, the liberal media is owned by uh, foreign companies. You know, once again, the Western, terrible Western influence wanting to destroy the traditional Polish values, the tra- tra- traditional Polish family. And you spoke earlier about um, the EU kind of like holding the EU in regard. How is that now? Like you, you say about like corporations 
being ironically like the last the last bastion of like i guess like sensical like news that makes sense but like what is the eu even doing at the moment can't say they're doing much uh well they definitely defunded the lgbt free zones i mean they they didn't defund them they just uh they applied for for funding and they said that they wouldn't give them the funding because they don't want to promote discrimination. And after the, 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 the LGBT free zones were defunded, people were talking about how um, Poland is being discriminated against by the EU again. Once again, they are out to get us. And Tuchov, which is a, a, a town, it's not a town. It's, it's a village that's very close to uh, Tuchov, which is kind of local for me. I've, I know Tuchov. It is an LGBT free zone and they were giving three times the amount of money by speaking of Jobro, the Minister of Justice, saying that he will not allow Polish uh, communities to be bullied by the big man. So you're saying like every challenge to kind of this media takeover, whether it's from, you know, Discovery Channel or, or the EU is like taken with like nationalist stuff like, oh, this is a an attack on on Poland and the Polish people. Yeah. Um, with the LGBT zones and the specific funding, obviously that that means that everyone's going to look at LGBT zones and be like, wow, well, this is being rewarded by the government. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Would you say it's likely that like any areas in Poland that are like struggling for, is it like municipal funding? Like how likely do you think it is that people are going to start designating places as LGBT zones to get money for like local infrastructure and stuff? Hmm. Well, that first one was definitely down for clout. They gave money to one of them. There's uh, more than one. Uh, I don't know if they gave money to more of them. Haven't heard anything like that. So it might just be a publicity stunt. But I, it is, it is kind of rewarding that behavior. Oh. Do you also mind giving us a bit of a summary of like how the LGBT zones work in terms of like what the government is actually doing? Obviously, apart from like putting up a bunch of signs. Well. It mostly just means that you're not supposed to uh, propagate, uh, you're not supposed to propagate LGBT ideas and uh, teach kids. Oh yeah, uh, after the uh, Chaskowski signed that declaration supporting LGBT rights, uh, the party leader of peace, who is basically pulling all the strings in the country, Jarosław Kaczyński, he is not, he doesn't have any sort of a function in the government. He used to be the prime minister a long time ago, but now he's just a leader, leader of the party. But it's very evident to everyone that he is in charge of everything. And the people who get rewarded and who get promoted are the people who are loyal to him. So he, he basically, he, he's a huge, huge person. He, he's, the, the, he's like the president practically. He did call LGBT rights an import that threatens Poland after Chaskowski uh, uh, signed that declaration. And then it was still in 2019, they uh, arrested uh, a civil, right activist, civil rights activists for putting up posters of the Black Madonna of Częstochowa with the halo printed painted rainbow colors for the charge of offending religious sentiment. It's so easy to get charged for offending religious sentiment in Poland. How is it enforced? Do you get jail time or a fine? You can get jail time. 
Wow. I'm pretty sure that lady who, uh, all she did was a uh, Photoshop. Well, no, she Photoshopped uh, Black Madonna of Częstochowa, which is a religious icon in Poland that everyone knows. It's, it's that St. Mary from Częstochowa. That, that, um, there's a pilgrimage every year, like a whole, the whole country does the pilgrimage. She, all she did was print posters and put out the posters of her with rainbow halo. And there was a time, I'm not sure what's happened to her now, but she was going to go to jail for two years. So one thing that this description of the LGBT free zones has kind of reminded me of is like, it seems to be like a very, very punitive version. It's like, it's like a combination of two things we have here in the UK. Uh, and like one of them is this like current government policy called the hostile environment which is this kind of like a semi-official term for the, the government's policy against migrants, um, where they like have these very, very strict rules against migrants and like these very like brutal ways of um, basically putting them in, in, in prison if, and then they get deported and stuff. And the other thing that it reminds me of is um, a piece of legislation that they, they actually got rid of several years ago called Section 28, which basically banned teaching kids about LGBT stuff. But it was, mm-hmm. only, it was, it was mainly only applied to, to like education. Like there were, other, there were other anti-LGBT laws, but Section 28 was chiefly concerned with, with not teaching kids about gay stuff in case it turned them gay. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're describing seems to me to be like that like on steroids but also like it's because it's applied to like entire geographical areas instead of just like kind of sections of society like the education sector then it's it's like a, a much more potent policy like there's a lot more violent power in it yeah that charge of offending religious sentiment it's not a thing that is only happens in lgbt free zones it's it's a countrywide and has been there for ages. So they don't, they just kind of, they're just kind of declarations. They're not really, there's not really any consequences to that. Like declaring a place LGBT free. It's just kind of a resolution that the local government will, will decide that they will have. Well, similar to both the hostile environment and something we were talking about in our previous episode, because we were talking about British turfs, and how they they're not like jackbooted skinhead Nazis. They, they they want to enact they they want to enact conditions so that like the 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 possibility of like actual physical violence like they want to increase like the 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 capability of like political violence. And it seems like with LGBT free zones, like they technically don't do anything, but they would embolden violence uh, generally, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because it, it's it's basically like the the logic of the way that the turfs work here is that they kind of want to do like segregationist policy, where they'll like enact like a law that says like trans people can't go into specific bathrooms, and the effect of that will mean that it will reduce the amount of spaces that trans people can go to, and then like the knock on from that is that because trans people are like less and less prominent in public life and less and less like politically powerful it becomes easier to like it becomes easier for other people not necessarily the turfs themselves but just like random bigots and like far-right groups to like physically attack them and then get away with it because they're not enfranchised in any way 
and this to me because it's like the thing that really gets to me about this the 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 lgbt free zones is that it's applied on like a geographical level which is a lot closer to a full-blown like segregation policy than anything we've ever got in the uk yeah it's really cool oh yeah it rules obviously i will obviously rules. wouldn't make <laughs> absolutely rules oh yeah yeah sorry i okay i misunderstood you i thought you were asking about the rules uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no we were just sarcastically like this is great and we love this um yeah. I, I wouldn't ever make a direct comparison but um because obviously there, there there's no direct comparison to um white supremacy against black people but one of the in terms of segregationist policies like obviously in america even though uh, sundown towns no longer literally exist the knock-on effect of them is that in lots of uh towns in america the capacity yeah like the the probability of like literal violence is much higher because you've got towns where for years only racist white people wanted to live there and even today when there is no official thing in place the culture is just so like uh you know unwelcoming and violent towards anyone who's different that you basically have white only towns even to this day and i guess like that's where the geographical uh thing becomes like the most dangerous because yeah you can just yeah. public life zone by zone yeah um oh yeah also one thing that one thing that they said in tuchov uh because uh, the local tarnov the tuchov is uh, the tarnov chapter it's not a chapter the tarnov lgbt rights organization uh, after they, because uh, there were there was a French municipality that bro broke contact with Tuhuf because it's because it called itself a, 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 an LGBT free zone, and after that happened, the I read in the newspaper this this local town of newspaper, one of the people in charge of Tuhuf of of someone from the local government was like, well actually we're not against gay people we are just against LGBT ideology and saying that we are homophobic is ridiculous. And that, that sentiment also happens a lot. Like it is, it is uh, repeated. Yeah. Th that's quite common um, everywhere where you have an uptick of like phobic and transphobic stuff. And, and it's kind of the preserve of bigots everywhere to be like, Oh, I'm not a bigot about this group. I just wish they would stay out of my face. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like yesterday, when uh, the Prime Minister of the Catholic Church uh, announced that it is, it is willing to fund conversion therapy for medical treatment of LGBT people. Well, no, they, they said that they were willing to fund medical treatment of LGBT people, which basically means conversion therapy. So, Iris, what is employment kind of and you know day-to-day -day life like in Poland in terms of is it legal to be fired for being LGBT and if it is illegal is that enforceable like what's the what's the day-to-day -day kind of moving through society as a trans citizen or gay citizen like okay well technically uh discrimination because of uh or sexual orientation etc is, is is illegal technically but I assume that means it's if it is done, it's not enforceable. Honestly, uh, I have to say that I I haven't heard of anyone getting fired because of being because they were gay. 
but that might just be because people don't want to talk about that and they don't want to advertise it. I'm not sure how trans people deal with that. I so I don't want to like like prejudge the situation or put words into your mouth or anything. But I personally would be really really surprised if it didn't happen. Um, but Absolutely it happens. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it, it it but it does occur to me that because the LGBT movement and like LGBT people are facing like so much repression, and there's not many like spaces where they can talk to each other, that like that might also be like choking the the possibility of solidarity within the LGBT movement, which would mean that if people are getting fired a lot, they might not even like think to talk about it, which I guess is like another way in which like homophobia and transphobia are kind of part of the class struggle. Yeah. But like yeah, that, that makes much, sense. Yeah, that's that's very much like my own opinion. I don't want to I don't want to like force it on the situation. Yeah, no, I'm, I feel like that's how it is. Should we talk about solidarity? Because I think there are some interesting comparisons to be made with the British trade unions. What I would like to know about um, the, the, the organisation Solidarity in Poland, um, and for, for our British listeners, um, Solidarity is kind of like a, a massive political institution in Poland and it was it was critical towards like the overthrow of like the I guess the Soviet system basically in the in the the 80s up until the 90s the the solidarity union because it is it is officially it's a trade union was leading a lot of the political struggle to kind of like overthrow the the autocratic government that that ran Poland at the time and that has left a huge political legacy uh, and I would just wonder, like, how relevant is that today? And, like, what has the, like, the long-running effect of, like, solidarity as a, as, as a thing in Polish politics, like, meant? Have they, people who were in solidarity, how, how, how have they kind of, like, related themselves to the LGBT movement? Have they done very well? Have they, like, done poorly? Like, what's the situation? Well, depends on the person. But there were people who, who spoke out about uh, how LGBT rights are, well, we are human rights and uh, we shouldn't be doing, okay, that's, that's just, again, right. So solidarity is not what it was in the past. Solidarity became, uh, well, it's just, all that's left is the name. People in charge of solidarity are very closely connected to the government and have been very right-wing for a very long time. In 2019, uh, a member of Solidarity from Yelena Gura called LGBT, well, they, comp they compared LGBT to Stalinist bandits. So most, I feel like most of like today's Solidarity is, is very much against, I guess what they would call cultural revolution that happens like they, they did definitely see gay people existing as uh, something that happened in the last couple of years yeah and it's it's funny how um, corporations kind of nowadays it's better to ally with the corporations than the well, solidarity doesn't exist in corporations. They, they exist in, I don't even know what places they exist in. They just kind of exist as a, as a nebulous, nebulous uh, uh, organism that's kind of out there. 
not sure whose rights they, they fight for anymore, if they fight for anyone's rights. You say they've been kind of ineffective and right-wing for a while. Did they, mm -hmm. start, they start off in a much better place? It's interesting, yeah. I mean, solidarity changed a lot. It, 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 now, nowadays, solidarity is hand-in-hand uh, -hand with, with the government. Right, exactly. That's kind of what I wanted to, why I wanted to bring it up, because obviously it's stopped, like it's clearly stopped being a remotely liberatory movement. And it's Yeah, and it's, it's stopped being relevant. It's stopped having any sort of say in anything. Um, the, the, there are other um, unions that have more impact. Solidarity is just a name right now. Actually, yeah, this kind of this kind of chimes into something that we were talking about in one of the previous episodes to do with like the institutionalization of like left wing movements and they kind of how mm -hmm. they're like sucked into the establishment. Oh no, yeah, solidarity was completely is slurped away from leftists. Like if they see a leftist, they they kick them in the shin. I no, there's just no leftist there. It's only what's funny about the current government is that their policies are in many ways uh, kind of leftist, you know, like uh, economically. Would you say they're would you say they're socialist in an economic sense and, and nationalist in a in a cultural sense? Yes, uh, which makes which makes liberals hate them. Uh, classic, classic. Yeah. It's like the one thing that the liberals complain about when they complain about the government is, oh, they're giving out money again. But uh, what's important about that is that they only give out money to the people that they deem important enough and like uh, that work with their uh, vision of the world. So like when they uh, give 500 zwarte to uh, everyone, God, was it once a month? Uh, everyone with a kid, for one kid, was 500 zwarte. Uh, but at first they only gave it to families that were full families, no single moms, no single dads, no God forbid, like living with, with someone who is of the same gender. That's that, there was not, not even any talk about that because that doesn't exist. Um, also, they took money away from the um, from people under care and disabled people to move it to those families. To uh, and the, the the point of that whole thing was to uh, encourage having kids. I was a baby when solidarity oh, was changing from what it was into what it is now. I kind of. I, I gained consciousness around the time that it was already just a skeleton of what it used to be. Like, no one thinks about solidarity anymore. They kind of just want to claim the name, and uh, I'm not sure why they exist anymore. So the, the, reason, the reason why I bring this up is because when me and E were doing our kind of like episodes about like the left wing in Britain, um, and like doing the background research into it, it's become, it became like quite apparent that like not only did the, the big trade unions kind of function as this kind of way for like transphobia to become like a big institutional force because there were a lot of 
there was a lot of over the reason why that happened is that there was like a lot of overlap between kind of like the early transphobic uh like radical feminists um back in like the the the, the 80s and the early 90s and um people who were kind of like in the labor party and in the in the like the, the business unions um and that's something that happened because of how like british politics is structured but the thing that is remarkable about it is that like these two movements which are meant to be liberatory both became these like boring and useless and harmful bits of government apparatus and it seems like there might not have been like much of a radical feminist movement in in poland but the unions were really really strong and from the outside it kind of looks as if as you say they're just not really there anymore um which is similar to how it is in britain where the big trade unions are they're not totally useless but they're nearly useless yeah well solidarity is a uh, very catholic right now very yeah it, 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 i forgot i forgot the, the, the phrasing that you used yeah government apparatus that's a good way to say it there's one uh there are some unions that aren't like that uh like the zevenpair which is the teachers union it's very often goes uh, uh, speaks out for workers rights and especially the, the rights of teachers against and against what you know government policies in a pretty leftist way okay i'm not now i'm just uh that's my judgment i haven't heard everything that they said just bits so maybe making that judgment is not the best but I'm pretty sure ZNP backed the LGBT. Yeah, there's a lot of, when you Google ZNP and LGBT together, there's a lot of right-wingers uh, talking about how, well, right-wing articles talking about how the homo ideology uh, took over ZNP because they, they, they don't fight LGBT rights. So I was interested particularly in comparisons between the political climate of Poland right now, so the post-election and all of the new stuff, and also Hungary, because Hungary similarly has had these kind of national socialist policies of um, rewarding uh, people for having, uh, sit, you know, citizen children, like child benefits, uh, and also using conservative backlash on LGBT people being anti-family which obviously also fits into, um, you know, uh, fighting for the family is also very anti-immigrant as well, uh, as you pointed out earlier, Iris. Um, and they also specifically have attacked gender ideology. Um, and the child benefit as one policy has been like a really great way for them to sort of push a pro, a pro, a pro citizen nationalist uh, family uh, kind of platform. And so I was wondering, what you thought about how that that kind of agenda is going in Poland and if you think the, the comparison is an apt one or if it's very different or anything like that? Oh, it's absolutely apt. They are um, pretty sure. Uh, well, Kaczynski at some point said that he would like Poland to be another, another Hungary. And they are friends, Orban and Kaczynski. Right. Okay. 
So in, 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 in Hungary, obviously specifically in this like uh, attack of, um, you know, attack against gender ideology, which also I think includes feminism. Uh, they're a bit confused. They also do a similar thing of like attacking it in education as well and comparing gender ideology to like Marxism uh, and Leninism, I think is the specific uh, comparison. Um, yeah, they passed in May like a whole legislative package which just included a bunch of stuff, especially um, making it impossible for trans people to essentially legally transition because you now in Hungary can't change your birth certificate or your identification documents to change your sex or gender marker. Um, do you think that's like something, do you think that's something that like Poland would eventually work towards? Because Hungary is, Hungary is very specific in that they are, they are going after trans people explicitly rather than just talking about how LGBT people in general are kind of, you know, degenerates and anti-family and stuff. Yeah, I feel like uh, in Poland, it's been a bit different. It's been a bit different because just from the perspective of, of, of uh, someone who's here and listens to things that are being said, they just did, it's kind of like they didn't really understand trans people existing before. Like they, they threw, there, there was talks about the, the gender ideology being uh, terrible and, uh, and uh, harmful, but they kind of equated it with, with uh, gay people, like gay people and trans people are the same thing. Um, they've been kind of waking up to the, the existence of trans people lately. One thing that's been kind of like, cropping up quite a lot in this conversation and particularly when when E mentioned uh, Hungary earlier and earlier when we were talking about like the way that uh, the Polish state does does benefits for families is that it's it seems quite obvious that the the idea of like the perfect family is quite tied in to uh, like Polish nationalism in a way that it is in Hungary and which is like quite common for a lot of like heavily conservative governments or or even or or even fascist governments like both like right now and historically like how much does does the idea of the nation and the idea of like the family as being like the the the, the most important core bit of the nation like overlap with with homophobia in in Polish politics yeah, well, uh, the current government, the, the, the president now, they both ran on the platform of, of supporting the Polish family, which basically, you know what that means. Mom and dad and two beautiful blonde children. They do talk about the family a lot. And yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is that. There's not much more to say. It's just that. They, do they... Hmm. Do they use like um, any kind of like specific imagery or like specific ways of talking about how the family is important or like anything like that? Because like normally when this stuff crops up, like in like in other kind of situations, there's normally stuff about like, yeah, you've got to like protect the family and like protect mm -hmm. the household. Like that, that's a very standard thing. And, and you've mentioned that already today. But I guess like what I'm what I'm getting at is that it's kind of mixed in with this whole myth of like trans people being pedophiles it's the idea that like 
if a family like discovers that the child is trans then it's almost as if they've been like stolen away by evil spirits um it's kind of like depicted in in that way in this kind of like unspoken way do you do you understand what i mean is that something that happens cuz like, it might it might not necessarily be something that makes sense but it's yeah we often get I, that here yeah i feel like if, again trans people don't appear in may in in uh mainstream discourse enough for that to happen it's just uh, for now it's just uh hyping up the traditional family slavic looking white people um, heterosexual can, can i can i ask like one more like follow up about this yeah has this got worse since the the big like the since the big like uh, abortion protests i feel like it's all connected it's all been getting progressively worse like it's all sitting on top of one very big truck and the truck is is is, is about to fall off a cliff yeah i kind of i kind of feel like i'm trying to like lead you to a specific conclusion here which isn't really what i'm supposed to do if i'm interviewing you because like it's a bit it's a bit like intellectually unsound of me to do that um, i mean i understand what you mean but i huh i to me you're already saying what uh you're really saying it, and all yeah, I that, can do is of, I'm, I'm be trying, like, "Yes." I'm, like, I'm trying not to do that because I don't want to like corrupt the information with my own opinions. But like, what my perception from the outside has been has been this sudden explosion of bullshit about like gender ideology or whatever. It almost seems like it's been like a deliberate reaction to things like a slowly emerging progressive movement that is just beginning to reestablish itself and is doing things like like the women's protests for abortion or like the fact that there's still one or two unions that still do shit like the teachers union and that those unions aren't too interested in in like joining in with the homophobia it like all of this stuff seems to be kind of like part of like a, a larger culture and class war and like there's a few like very specific like social minorities that just keep getting it in the neck and yeah, I like this has stopped being like a question. It's just like my little tirade, and I just want to like, ha- is am I uh, uh, like, am I right? Like, I'm like genuinely asking the question. I'm not trying to like lead you. Like, is that a correct assessment, or do you think there's other stuff going on? Okay, uh, the thought that I'm having right now is that it's not as sudden as as we might think, as as people from the outside may think. Because uh, I don't. It got really bad. Like it, the, the aggression from the media. It's like. It got really bad in the last two years, but in the past, this course, it's not, what they're saying is not anything new. They're not coming up with new concepts. It's just been kind of implied. So I feel like maybe it is, maybe you're right. And maybe it's also the other way around. Like, maybe as a society, because that's going to be naive, (laughs) but maybe as a society we decided, well, oh, the influence of the internet. It might have done something here, because the people who protested were Gen Z. They are mostly Gen Z, and Gen Z, they grew up uh, on the internet, and they grew up on ideals and and, uh, that were from outside of Poland and from outside of like the, the cultural uh, very keep it in your own house do not 
tell anyone anything. Uh, put your keep your head down, kind of mentality. And like like me, for example, I because I grew up on the internet, I now feel like I have a leg to stand on when I demand that people treat me seriously. Like there's two parts of me. One that came from the outside is that I, as a person, already have some kind of a value and I don't have to change or pretend that I am just like everyone else, you know, like in terms of being heterosexual and cisgender. And the, the thing that I was taught that I grew up with that, that, that mindset was uh, do not ever show how that, that you might be different in any way because one, my one cares and the second thing is that you will be the village weirdo and people will hate you and bad things will happen to you and you have no rights and you your, your diversion from the norm is your own fault. And it, it was a struggle, but I kind of be, learned that it, it's asking for rights is not a crime. <laughs> uh, again, this is a meander, but I feel like that cultural influence from the West and from societies that um, were, it was a bit easier to be openly gay or, or trans, etc., etc., which is a huge uh, generalization because we all know that the UK has its problems and, and every country has its problems. But there's also a matter of, uh, of, 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 the, of the idealization of, of the situation of different countries. Like it's very common for Polish people to think that it's so much better in the West. Polish people like me, like young, young, pe young people. Well, no, that's actually, I'm probably giving them, they're not as naive as I, as I just, made it look well i think it all boils down well hmm huh i'm just coming up I, I, my brain is uh coming up with all the ways in which i could be wrong now but that's, that's just fine. one perspective not defending like a phd thesis um you know it it, it is okay if if like you don't have magical citations for everything Mm, yeah, um, just some person. <sighs> anyway, again, I forgot what I was talking about. No, no, it, it's fine. What do you feel, you, you, you talk about kind of people thinking a bit grass is greener, but, but what do you personally feel about the future and the possibility of, of like a success, successful progressive movement? Um, because I know now um, with the arrest of Margot, like I've seen a lot. I've seen e e like English speaking Eng English, uh, like Twitters talking about um, LGBT activism in Poland uh, and um, kind of like people getting very, I guess, radicalized or politicized with things developing. And like, what what do you think about the kind of growing pro LGBT activist movement and the kind of a progressive movement in general? radicalization i definitely became i i already thought i was a bit well not 
a bit radical that sounds really silly and baby-like but the last couple months definitely radicalized me and it radicalized my friends they definitely radicalized a lot of people on twitter that i see there's uh of course liberals do not like the methods that the lgbt rights uh activists are taking which is just wild to me because the process have been the protests have been completely peaceful. One person went on top of a car. That's nothing. But oh yeah, after Margot was let out of prison finally, uh, she posted a picture of herself with the middle, fi middle finger out, and the liberals just peed their pants collectively. They were like, "Oh Jesus Christ! I I I understand. Uh, Mar Margot was of course a victim. Blah blah blah." but I cannot condone her methods. This is just so immature to sh tell someone, fuck you, that is impossible. And just, we cannot pick up their methods. It's, it's unheard of to say uh, the word fuck to someone who is taking away your rights and trying to kill you. How dare she? And uh, liberals, they are just such a pain. So do you think like a yeah. progressive, sorry, I was just going to say in terms of like the respectability politics of being like, oh, you can't swear. You can't swear at the courts and the police. That's a crime. <laughs> uh, do you think like in terms of a success, successful um, progressive movement, do you think a lot of activists are going to have to do a lot of respectability politics? Or do you think like that like younger people and more radicalized people are just going to be like, nah, fuck this, actually, we deserve to be treated like human beings? Yeah, I've seen a swerve towards the second stance, thankfully, in a lot of people, finally. And I'm glad. But we are absolutely being stopped by older people who are like, you know, liberals. Or like, oh, I was supporting you, but now you're being aggressive, and I don't like that anymore. Get off my street. Stop being mean to me, and stop being mean to the poor fascists who are throwing stones at you. Oh, there was a person who was, like, deliberately trying to provoke uh, uh, protesters. Like, they would just be outwardly transphobic and filming it. And then the, the person... Uh, who was accosted, spit in their spit on them, and that it, it started like a whole avalanche of people talking about how the LGBT uh, protesters are aggressive. Oh yeah, there's also the parallels that are drawn between the uh, quote unquote aggression of LGBT uh, protesters and uh, uh, BLM protesters. Because of course everyone in Poland is going to have an opinion about that. In terms of like things being like dire now, but a lot of people being like quite radicalized and like really up for changing things. Do, can you see like, what would you think would be like, how do you think, how do you think people could be successful? Because obviously like, you know, there's various things that, that people do uh, against TERFs over here and they, and you know, there's petitions and they try and get like, you know, we have Pink News, which is an LGBT news source, which is quite mainstream and has a lot of pull. So if they if they um, report on someone being a bigot, then usually it makes national news and like it becomes a whole media cycle. But 
but like where do you see stuff going I guess in the future I honestly can't tell I want to believe that it will well okay um I think Margot and Wanya brought a new quality of that's such a capitalist way of putting it but they uh brought a new way of being a protester to the great the greater audience like they were they are unapologetic they are brave they they're not afraid to 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 uh vandalize a vehicle and they don't care about what the liberals say is 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 uh you know that you you have to be respectful. Uh, they're still they're still not doing anything like terrible. I mean, oh, of course they're not doing anything terrible. They're desperate measures. They're not even desperate measures. Okay, I'm just contradicting myself. Uh, yeah, in the past, uh, to be an activist, you had to be very very nice, very very in your lane. And oh, one thing that I was thinking about is how if if Margo wanted to lead like a uh, a movement, I guess she kind of is. But I would follow that wholeheartedly. Like I believe in her methods. Uh, also, she kind of introduced the the idea that non-binary people exist to to Poland. Like in the past, when you said the word non-binary, people would be like, huh, what is that? Oh yeah, there was a whole like whole like debate about non-binary people. Well, debate, it was just the mostly people being surprised by the fact that we exist. But nowadays I can just be like, hey, I'm non-binary and people are like, oh, I know that word. And that didn't happen before her arrest. That's really cool. So e even though like, even though like Margot is facing a lot of repression, like it, it's not because because in, in, in the UK, like sometimes we will see like, uh, you know, we've got like, um, what is it? Extinction Rebellion doing like direct action, but as a group, they are garbage. They're, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and the ideology of the group is garbage. But you're saying that like the stuff that's going on, like politically, you're like, yes, that's good. Yeah. That's great. I mean, she's... Uh... <laughs> She's just one person. Yeah, I guess going back to the question, uh, I wanted to ask like, what you think about the success of like a progressive movement um, and like the future, like what you think the future could look like or will look like in like a really optimistic way. In an optimistic way, jeez. Uh, just when you were asking that question, just I felt the the tiredness and I felt exhausted just the, just being saddled with the perspective of thinking about the future and the things that can happen uh I don't know well one good thing that could happen is the, that the, they won't do the idea about the won't go through with the idea of, of uh, building uh, conversion therapy camps that would be really cool but uh optimistic uh yeah i guess like what what kind of could you see if things go well and if 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 people um are successful if like activist groups are successful 
and are supported and work, work, work hard and work together. Like what are some things that like people are agitating for at the moment, which would be really great if, if they were successful? Um, okay. So, uh, one thing that the government would have to stop talking about LGBT people or if somehow magically the, uh, the activist side of this conflict grew in power, we could introduce some changes into the legislation. Like we could start protecting, actually protecting LGBT people from discrimination, or we could make transition easier. We could, uh, <laughs> we could remove that, th that bit of the, uh, uh, process where you have to sue your own parents and then your parents prolong the, the, the well basically pretty much just stop your transition for a long time because they will come up uh, with ways in which you are not really trans uh, oh yeah back to the question uh, huh no this is not really, this is not really interesting so at the moment, like a lot of a lot of the stuff that could be improved is like legislation and like uh, you know equality protection and, and and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, if like God came from, if Jesus came from the heavens and magically changed everything, what would you want the LGBT movement itself to look like? in order to get these things that you want? Like, what kind of organizations do you think you need? We would definitely need to uh, give more, amplify the voices of, of uh, trans people, because they are barely heard. And, huh, this is a very organized, organizational question. I was never, I never thought about that. Honestly, I kind of am just getting into it now. But like I said, I got so so like I didn't care. I just didn't believe that anything could change, and now I'm kind of like pushed. What's the what's the phrase? Pushed to the wall? No. I think many people are speaking out out of fear. Like I am definitely my radicalization came from fear, and from a feeling of of of, of, of lack of justice, of course. Um, and anger, mostly anger, uh, but the threat, it's always been there, like, it's always been like, like oh, yeah, it's really bad, like, oh, when the, when the LGBT free zones first happened, I was like, yeah, this is terrible, I guess, from an outside perspective, but this is nothing new, nothing will change, it's just going to be named that, and it's not going to really change anything for me because it's been bad, it's going to be bad, it's, I'm going to die and it's still going to be bad. And now after it got tangibly worse, yeah, it's like the more you push someone, the more... I, I was just gonna say, the way I, I, the way I personally see it, and you might not agree with this uh, in terms of like, when things get worse in a way that's very obvious rather than a slow creep, a lot of people suddenly go, oh shit, like it's everything's happening now. And it seems like to me that like, it's almost like the less you have to lose because you've, because you've, you've lost something. And also the less you engage in a system 
because the system very clearly hates you. On the one hand, it's very depressing because the safety of the system is gone. And, but on the other hand, when a system is really hostile to you and you can't even try and cling onto it because it's very clear that it's not for you, it kind of gives you a little bit of a, it's almost freeing in a way. You're, you're kind of like, oh, well, the system is garbage, but also what if we could make our own, our own thing? Like um, in, in like other countries, like a lot of trans activism is centered around like solidarity. So, you know, like getting people clothes, getting people hormones, getting people housing, getting people employment. And it's like, on the one hand, it's a lot of stress and effort to have to do this kind of activism and advocacy just to exist. But on the other hand, it means that you can think about making these systems as, as, as good, as perfect as possible. That's, I agree with that. That's definitely been my, well, yeah, I kind of came out, out of desperation. And after I came out, I feel better. Like I, it, it, it was free. So I guess there is a tiny upside of, yeah, I agree with what you said. That's, that's basically it. Mm. So I guess what I'd want to follow on with is that like, in like kind of this desperation to be, to be free and, and, and like the kind of just like stepping into the void <laughs> a little bit and like what you would want kind of LGBT activism to look like. Are there currently any kind of organizations doing kind of like, you know, legal advocacy, housing advocacy, employment advocacy for LGBT people in general, and also like, you know, medical and legal advocacy for trans people? Okay, there's definitely Transphobia, which is a, a, an organization that uh, helps people with uh, being with, with, with transition and with legal things like uh, there's a Campagna Homophobia. Uh, there's a I'm just going to that's that's just going to be me listing names. I'm not sure if that's very good. No, this is great. I would really like one thing I would really like for when this when this episode is published is that like I'm kind of hoping ideally that some people listen to this and they look up some of the organizations and they start boosting awareness or donating. So like a list of organizations is good and a and like a what they what they do and what they're about. Yeah. Transfusia definitely. I would really like Transfusia to be uh, boosted. They are a bit marginalized, a bit quiet. But they do, uh, pr they provide a lot of support uh, as much as they're able. There's a, a Tolerado, I'm pretty sure they, they have like a uh, support poem line. Uh, there's a campaign against homophobia. There's a, of course, I'm forgetting the names now. It will be great if Transfusia got some attention because it's trans-specific. I'm not sure if there is another uh, like trans organization for trans people, but hmm. A trans organization is definitely the main one and it's not very big. This has all been like incredibly helpful and thank you so much for uh, talking, talking, talking to us on the big Zoom app. No, thank you. Thank you for wanting to talk to someone and like, Raising, raising awareness, maybe, uh, I don't know. Thanks for caring. I think it just, it irritates me because like Britain, like, like when you were saying about, um, you know, what kind of, what kind of activism like would be necessary. Like when we were harassing you about organizational tactics, 
a lot of the stuff you said was like legislative legislative stuff which like we already have over here like yes we have turfs and they're absolutely awful and, and they cause a great deal of violence but we're just like so much more secure in a day-to-day uh kind of way than like lgbt people in poland and it's just like people should care you know i i'm i'm comparatively very privileged i didn't have to sue my parents to transition you know i didn't i didn't have to do any of this stuff and it's just like people should care and if you have a place that's more secure then you should be using that security to i don't know do good things for people who aren't in such a secure position that's how i feel about it anyway even changing yeah, your but- name is, is is like a whole ordeal yeah and and, and one th- other thing that is very different that from he- between here and england is that you have do you, is is civil mar- gay marriage legal in in england yeah, yes it, it is yeah. We don't even have any sort of partnership laws. So if, let's say, your partner gets ran over by a car and is dying in a hospital, you're not going to be able to see them. So that's cool and really cool and fun. So a lot of the, 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 the reason that we got civil partnerships and then eventually same-sex marriage was because of hospital visits, because of uh, HIV crisis. And I just, I know it's before our times, but like, did Poland not get a great deal of HIV cases? No one ever talks about that, ever. That's really so I don't know. It's that's not really mentioned. Sorry. No, no, that's absolutely fine. No, no, that's really helpful because, like, in the US and the UK, like, that is where the fight for gay marriage originally came from. Obviously, by the time that the US and the UK got gay marriage, it was a very liberal sort of thing. But, like, the original activism around it was to do with HIV. So that makes a lot of sense. I don't think it's impossible that we didn't have HIV. It's, I think it was just a, God, I would have to look into it. It's amazing that there's not a peep about that from anyone ever. Like I learned about the HIV crisis uh, as a young adult and in context, on, in context of it happening in America. If I had to guess, I would say that, like, because here the like the cultural memory of the HIV and AIDS crisis, in, like in America and in Britain, is really like being kept alive by the LGBT movement and by and because America had organizations like ACT UP, and and there was like there were all these like activist veterans like kicking around who'd survived like this horrible horrible event but had done it in the context of doing activism. But because, like, Poland doesn't seem to have had any kind of, like, significant history of LGBT activism up until now, or at least not on the scale that, like, uh, more Western nations did, maybe that would explain why there's not as heavy, like, a cultural memory of it. Yeah. I'm thinking about about gay people and trans people and about before capitalism came in. There's nothing that comes to my mind. I know there was a book about gay people in those times, but I haven't read it, so I'm talking out of my ass again. Was it a matter of people, of, of it being hidden? Was it a matter of people hiding, or was it a matter of it not happening to that scale? I don't really believe in that second uh, option. Well, okay, yeah, this is just this is just me saying words that don't have any basis in reality probably 
so yeah yeah again thank you so much for speaking to us and um hopefully speak to you about less like shit stuff soon sure okay thanks thanks for uh, the talk have a lovely rest of the day you too All right, so thank you to Iris again very much for speaking to us, and I hope everyone enjoyed listening to them talk about all of all of that. So yeah, there's there's a few things that came up in in the in the interview, and have also kind of like come up in the general sort of source research and, and chats that we've had with, with Iris and and about Poland and about the situation in Poland that I would kind of like to just come back to before we before we bring the the episode to a close. Firstly, on a rather light note, I would like to highlight the fact that clearly Polish liberals have been like directly cloned from British liberal melts. And I'm thinking very specifically of like that bit when you were like going on about how they basically lost their minds over the fact that like LGBT activists were like being a tiny bit rude to people who want to bludgeon them unconscious and possibly to death. Uh, which reminds me very, very heavily of like when Tommy Robinson got milkshaked and the entire Plundit class went into like full Chernobyl meltdown mode and like all lost their minds because um, an event had happened that wasn't being realized via either Question Time or the opinion pages of the Times. And melts are like the perfect example of like, you know, fish hook theory because like you just have this thing of people being like, oh, well, I suppose we don't mind all the degenerates and, and we, we like them a lot, really. And then as soon as something happens to threaten res uh, respectability politics, they're like, oh, no, we have to defend Tommy Robinson and the street thugs. We, uh, we love them. Yeah, because the thing is, is that actually, because, because like part of the, the aspiration in Britain, um, part of like the aspirational aspect of the, of the far right is to attain the kind of respectability that the pundit class enjoys. Tommy Robinson actually has a lot more in common with a Guardian columnist than a Guardian columnist has in column has in common with like you know a regular kind of like left wing political activist who's doing just like thankless grassroots drudgery. Yeah, I mean, for a start, they both have access to like money. You know... They both got loads of money. Yeah, and they've got that they've got that journalist sheen, like whether it's an editor or a cameraman following them around, like it's all just it's all just blur that they're that they're that they're market testing to get them the comfiest life they can. That's true. They they've probably also got a couple of coke dealers in common as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm, mustn't overlook that critical part of British political infrastructure. Um, yeah. Anyway, joking aside, there was actually some stuff that I wanted to pick up on a, on a, on a more serious level, and this um, was stuff about like the procedure of acquiring, uh, you know, what, what we would call HRT here, uh, and that some of this came up in the interview, uh, like the bit where you have to sue your fucking parents, which is an exciting and fun concept. Uh, to explain what the logic behind that is, is that basically because. I think I think yeah I think this did come up in the interview, but just to recap, uh, because it, your parents sign your birth certificate, uh, the the legal result of that is that in Poland, if you want to change the the you know the letter that is on your birth certificate to change gender in a legal manner, what that means is you have to demonstrate that your parents falsified a legal document 
to the state which means that there has to be a lawsuit so that's where the whole suing your parents thing comes from which is fucking incredible to me yeah i mean even if you get on super super well with your parents which like you know a lot of trans people don't um regardless of where they come from funny Uh, like yeah (laughs) it's like a pain but then if you don't get on with your parents like that's a lawsuit and yeah, if you, I mean, if you even, on, even on its own, even on its own, it's a huge financial burden because the thing about lawsuits is they do actually require lawyers. Yeah, and it's like if you've been kicked out for your, by your parents for being trans, like where are you going to find a fancy pants hotshot lawyer to take your birth certificate case? Yeah, which I can't really imagine. Like even for like the shite lawyers, it's probably not exactly a lucrative prospect. Yeah, and, and, and we, we also actually spoke to um, another, another trans person living in Poland, um, but she wasn't able to speak to us uh, in the interview. What she did do is give us a lot more information about, the, um, about transitional care in Poland, such or forgiven value of transitional care. And it's not just um, that you have to sue your parents uh, for your um, you know, birth certificate to be changed. The church will always keep your records. So it's not like in Britain where you get a GRC and your kind of legal record is set straight and you are kind of like legally cis, it's, 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 there's always going to be something with the wrong gender marker on it. And the reason why this is more significant than it would be in, say, Britain, where like, you know, you grow up and your parents happen to ha- might happen to have you like baptised or like logged with like the local Church of England or whatever. Over in Poland, it's much more significant because, as we explained in the interview, there's this huge level of like intertwining like cooperation between the organs of state and the the organs of the catholic church so to a certain extent as like institutions of record they're almost indistinguishable in many many ways yeah and also the church the church is an obstacle to kind of it's very different to britain as well because with the grc you can um, be married uh, correctly, you can be buried correctly, um, but because the church won't change your um, marker, you can never get married uh, without divorcing or being married wrong because they won't allow single-sex marriage, same-sex marriage. And that's at the end. That's, that's like once you've achieved all the transitional healthcare. Which is rare, obviously, for, for, for very obvious reasons. Like, I mean, it's rare here, but like over there, I, I would imagine it's essentially like trying to find hen's teeth. Yeah, well, especially because apparently, as we found out, you have to have your skull measured. Uh, as oh, part yes. Of- let's, talk about this. let's talk about uh, like transgender caliper time, shall we? Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> loath as I am to... Um, just repeat uh, points that uh, Natalie of ContraPoints has made. Like she did a whole video about skull measuring and its links to white supremacy, which obviously is um, is kind of the same wheelhouse as our podcast. But this is literal skull measuring for trans people. It's not a metaphor. Um, yes. It's apparently to do with your pituitary gland, but you, you have to have your skull X-rayed um, and also take an IQ test. Yeah. To explain to explain what the skull thing is, we found out just after finishing some of the initial recording sessions for this podcast that it's a mandatory part of the of the process for being like if you if you're going to have your transition approved by the medical establishment in in, in poland you have to have this skull x-ray uh, and what they are looking for is basically the potential for a particular hollow in your skull 
where the pituitary gland resides to be slightly malshapen. The reason for this is that, is that the pituitary gland controls uh, like hormonal release within the human uh, body. Um, beyond that, I'm not even sure what the medical log logic is because this certainly isn't something that we've come across before. Either I, you know, have, just being a random dude who happens to know a lot of trans people socially, or you, E, um, a random dude who happens to be trans. We've never, <laughs> we've never run into the fucking like tricorder pituitary gland scan before. That's not a normal thing. No, I mean, I, I, I am a bit of a nerd for transitional healthcare to the point where I once watched a three hour long lecture by a microsurgeon and i haven't heard of this it's like it it it, it has no value yeah um so uh, it's very easy to see what the actual value here is uh which is nothing medical and it's entirely creating hoops for people to jump through for the purpose of getting them to jump through those hoops it also seems like the endocrine care which is um the management of the hormone levels once they found the cavity in your skull that is supposed to magically manage them. Uh, they also seem to administer endocrine care completely differently to, 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 how, to how it's done in the GICs. So it just seems like some weird kind of, almost like a mystification of your trans healthcare so that you can't advocate for yourself or like understand why people are uh, imposing these hoops on you at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I hate to get kind of stereotypical about it, but it is sort of this, it, 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 is, it is Kafka-esque. We've, we've mentioned that term before on other episodes in relation to the British um, trans healthcare system, such as it is. And it does seem to be a common phenomenon like across kind of national boundaries that particularly this kind of healthcare often has these weird like labyrinthine elements which is one thing that it seems to share with certain aspects of reproductive healthcare. Speaking of the crossover between um because th th there's been a lot written about um transition carers related to reproductive health and especially um how people who seem to challenge one challenge the other. One of the things that we were speaking about in terms of Poland's kind of like anti-trans um, advocates and, uh, and, and Britons and also the US is, is that you have a similar thing in the US with the Heritage Foundation who actually fund a lot of British uh, transphobes kind of trips around the country gallivanting about places um, but the Heritage Foundation are primarily anti-abortion and, and anti-family uh, planning and other reproductive kind of uh, healthcare. Yeah it, I mean the, one of the standard theories for, for you know, the, the trans rights movement go, going forward over the last few years is that the reason why particularly the American religious evangelical at, like, component of the far right has gone, has gone in so hard and heavy on backing like, the anti-trans movement in general is because it's perceived as being like a wedge issue that is like a strategic vulnerability in the fight for reproductive justice. <laughs> Sorry, it's unfortunately not just perceived to be like as the last few years have shown. Like it is actually a good way to get rollbacks of things. Oh uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's you know the the, the Heritage Foundation's uh, strategic theory has been clearly quite solidly vindicated in a lot of contexts. The um in terms of recent uh, British uh, antics, actually, Posey Parker, who is one of the British turfs who is most close to the rest of kind of the fash contingent, um, you know, is anti-vax, uh, is anti, um, sorry, is a, is a mask theorist and like is a, is a racist, uh, recently actually went on a live stream specifically talking about, as a wedge issue, 
children's uh, sex education in terms of like just general homophobia and also as well like being anti like again family planning other other reproductive kind of healthcare stuff it can and does work as a wedge i think given the like that fact it's it's particularly like notable in the the polish political context that all of this stuff you know has really kind of exploded in in the wake of like very very big abortion struggles and again that's something we covered in the interview um but like it all it all like comes back to like the 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 role of the catholic church in in polish political spheres um and like the way that they're deployed in and throughout society so like there's this organization which is arguably the the like the local polish equivalent of the heritage foundation yeah this organization is called ordo ordo juris uh, or the Institute for Legal Culture, um, and it is a a Polish uh, like it, you know, technically it's a it's an NGO basically, but its kind of its its purpose is to like gather together like academics and like lawyers and and pundits and and uh, and lobbyists and members of like the, the like the conservative right and the the kind of like the religious right political sphere and combine them into a precious into into a pressure group which you know applies leverage to certain weak points in um you know legislative procedure which is exactly how the heritage foundation functions but the thing is is that exactly like the exactly like the heritage foundation it does not exist in a vacuum it also exists in this like cooperative ecology with other aspects of the 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 polish political scene going like right down the line from you know local politicians like we were talking about in in the interview with the with the lgbt rezones and like certain mayors and and like local councils being in favor of it and certain mayors and local councils not being in favor of it um to like regional and national religious figures like like, like that guy who's who's like runs this like media empire um uh, right down to the level of like street thugs and like sometimes those are just kind of not bog standard because that implies a level of banality which i think would be distorting the truth but relatively ordinary kind of like street nazis which people in britain will at least be familiar with the concept of but also groups of guys who like deploy themselves in order to police access to churches on like socio-religious grounds in a in a very like a militant and violent fashion so the church clearly has a lot of power over not only your average citizen, but also, uh, you know, LGBT citizens, um, as we mentioned with the church records, but also the fact that this kind of like weird, flexible, kind of amorphous mass of the right, which um, similarly to the Heritage Foundation, allows these various elements to be like way, way, way too effective because on the one hand you have like you know, the Alex Jones of Poland, and on the other half, other hand, you have like liberals. And then on the other hand, you have these kind of paramilitaries who will violently prevent you from uh, entering uh, church services called the um, Soldiers of Christ. And to, to be clear, when we say paramilitaries, we don't mean this in the way that like the modern American militia movement operates. They're not turning up with machine guns. But we are talking about like big guys who have organized and have turned up in order to engage in like the hard end of policing a community. 
they use a very militaristic framework. Like we've seen some of their promotional images and it's all of like these like gammony kind of shaven headed large dudes you would expect in like black t-shirts that look like the kind of thing a fash metal band metal band might wear. Yeah, it's it's functionally the same vibe that, you know, the Proud Boys tried to give off. Where they're all wearing the same Fred Perry shirt. Yeah. Except with extra Catholicism. Yeah, it's it's Fred Perry Catholicism. This I, I hope the soldiers of Christ never listen to this. They're gonna be so angry. Sorry, Christ soldiers. Uh, and they specifically say, um, as we were told, Christ soldiers are stationed near the Warsaw Church. Only people who don't look like an F word will enter. So they're not just there to protect the community. They're there to protect the community from kind of LGBT interlopers. And, and this kind of us and them thing is specifically directed at LGBT people. It's very much like, again, it goes back to this thing about policing, like the territory of the municipality, but like policing the city, like, po- like policing who has rights to like engage with like these major civic institutions. Cause like, you know, I would imagine that quite a lot of the LGBT activists in Poland are not desperately enamored of the church. Um, but having access to like major congregational centers in, in, you know, your country and like your your hometown is a major civil right which is now it's not like just being abridged in some kind of like abstract legal sense like if the police were issued some kind of like search power that they could employ outside of churches it's not that kind of like formal abridgment it's being physically prevented by like an organized fascist militia yeah, and a lot of the things that British trans people worry about in terms of uh, being pushed out of public life, like, it's not that those are not legitimate worries, but when you look at, for example, a recent trans rights protest that was organized and shut down the police by the police, yes, that is um, <clears throat> a threat to a right to kind of organize and peacefully protest, and that is a civil right. However, it's not the same as this kind of like literal physical policing, which like, we discussed happening in Poland, like here and with the anti-LGBT zones. Like it's not necessarily that each of these things will affect the day-to-day life directly of an LGBT person, but it is like establishing physical segregation, which is very worrying. Yeah, Uh, I guess the equivalent here in Britain would be if the, like there was an attempt to throw a, like a trans pride march and then instead of um, formal police interference, and specifically what happened in, lo- in the situation we're talking about is that the police, you know, contacted the march organisers because they were liaising with them and said, if you proceed with this, we'll basically use coronavirus legislation to shut you down. Um, the equivalent to the Polish thing, if that had happened here, would have been like the police, you know, not particularly bothering one way or the other, but then like one of the far right organizations literally just like turning up with heavies and preventing the entire thing from happening. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different scenarios and also like a different system, which could lead to these scenarios. And it's not to underplay the risk of, you know, far right heavies getting into that kind of thing in Britain, because obviously given the subject of that, of this podcast, that is something we are very much concerned about. Like, potentially developing in this country sooner rather than later 
and also trans trans pride parades in britain have been uh heavily um threatened already by physical um kind of like turf violence it's just that it hasn't materialized as of yet to the same level in the same physical way so one of the other things we'd like to come out of doing this podcast and interviewing iris is like we've said, an, a greater understanding of kind of how things are the same in Poland and how things differ. Uh, but also we'd like to raise some awareness about the kind of organizations that are doing some really great stuff to support LGBT people and support trans people. Uh, and Iris very kindly gave us a list of organizations that we're going to be signal boosting and hoping that everyone who listens does too and supporting. Uh, the first of which is, apologies, my terrible pronunciation. Uh, Transfuja works to provide legal and health advice to trans people and holds meetings and support groups. They're doing so much great work, work that should be done by the state, but isn't and probably won't be unless a miracle happens and literally keep a lot of souls alive and hoping. They would really benefit from any financial help they can get. And uh, we'll put a link to them in our Twitter thread. And also we now have a dream width, which can be found at bloodandturf.dreamwidth.org where we're trying to put up citations and notes for all of the episodes, including a bunch of the links uh, for these organizations and Polish news articles as well. Another organization is uh, Lambda in Poland, which do a helpline for LGBT people that works Monday to Friday. Uh, and they also do extra days after big protests and, uh, and big events. And they also offer psychological and legal help like Transfusia do. Campaign Against Homophobia kph.org.pl is a similar story. They do psychological and legal help and uh, lobbying for LGBT rights. On the activist side, like the, the on, in terms of street politics, there's obviously Stop Bzdurom, made famous by uh, the arrest of Margot earlier in the year. Uh, and they're, they're sort of like the, the street activist side of the, of the struggle in Poland. There's various other people who are involved in the, the struggle against uh, you know, transphobia in, in Poland. Um, but it, obviously, in particular, we would like to thank our guest who gave us lots and lots of like very helpful information and also the other people who we've consulted with for gathering information for this podcast episode. We really do feel that it's important that um, like British uh, trans rights activists kind of get a reasonable run of information about what the hell is going on over there because it's deeply fucked up. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for contributing to this episode if, if, if you're one of the people who did. We'd also like to thank Marina, who made our lovely new uh, music. Uh, she can be found at Music Crustacean on Twitter. Uh, and she also has a SoundCloud. Uh, so we'd really encourage you to check out her lovely music. Right. I think that's it for this episode. There's just two little minor things that we need to, we need to let the audience know about. One. What aspect of Umberto Eco's ur-fascism has been manifested <laughs> in this episode? You can't have blunt turf without a lovely, uh, lovely Umberto Eco quote. No, it's in the rules of order. Well, it's the way that we, it's the only way that we can be industry leaders. Uh, that's true, that's true, that's true. Um, okay, uh, I feel like this is a pretty fucking open and shut case of uh, traditionalism and the rejection of modernity, uh, pretty much. I don't think there's much, like, it's all there on the table. Like, none of this is very hidden, you know. Well, yeah, Ira specifically spoke about a lot of this stuff being framed as kind of the modern West encroaching on traditional ways of life. So, you know, that's a slam dunk for eco yet again.
Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is, is that um, the rejection of modernism covers so much that it is sort of like duct tape analysis. Like you can sort of apply to anything. So in some ways, it's it's if we're applying it in this slightly amateurish way, it could arguably be a bit anti-intellectual. This is true, but I've never claimed to be anything but an amateur. Um, I uh, have like an alternative um, suggestion. So one of the other points that Eco brings up in the essay is, uh, quote, the followers must feel humiliated by the ostentatious wealth and force of their enemies. When I was a boy, I was taught to think of Englishmen as the five meal people. They ate more frequently than the poor but sober Italians. Jews are rich and help each other through a secret web of mutual assistance. However, the followers must be convinced that they can overwhelm the enemies. Thus, by a continuous shifting of rhetorical focus, the enemies are at the same time too strong and too weak. This is something we've covered um, beforehand, obviously, like the, the, the strong, weak dichotomy in, in, in fascist narratives. But the reason why I bring this up is all of that stuff that has like come up in relation to like Polish feelings of nationalism towards Western European nations, particularly Germany, where they view these um, nations as being like prosperous and specifically prospering um, at the expense of like Polish national prosperity. But also there's all of this like tied in stuff about like poisonous gender ideology seeping in from the decadent West, which I feel is definitely kind of like combining the like a nationalist interpretation of a perceived ostentatious wealth. And Germany is, an, is a wealthy nation within Europe, certainly, and it is at the top of the food chain for the flow of capital. And yeah, and that feeling is combined with the rejection of modernity. And also of the EU, which Eris spoke about, like um, the, the, this, this feeling of like this, the, the, the EU holding Poland back from implementing policies, which again, links to Germany. Yep. So yeah, Umberto Eco, the, the third host of, of, of um, Blood and Turf podcast has nailed it yet again. Thanks, mate. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah. The next episode. So we're going to try a little bit of an experiment for the next episode, and it might not work. Um, but uh, I'm not going to reveal too many details at this time. Uh, suffice to say that we may attempt uh, a report live from the front lines of the Turf Wars. Uh, and with that, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you very much. Bye. Bye.